everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Zauk, and today I'm joined by Wade Arnold, founder and CEO of Move. Move provides developers with a platform that takes the complexity out of embedded payments. They take a developer-first approach of being built on open source, portable to cloud providers or on-prem, modular for customization, and decoupled from any single bank program. They're serious about open source, having a massive open source library as well as a 1,600-person strong Slack. Wade is a self-described engineer's engineer, a true nerd at heart who has built a number of technical products in fintech and beyond. He's also a former pro BMX biker, owns a beer company and a bike company, all while living far outside of Denver, claiming to have isolated well before it was cool. Wade will be at the Wharton FinTech Conference on April 22nd and 23rd, joining the panel titled Unpacking APIs and SaaS, How Best-in-Class FinTechs Are Building from the Ground Up, alongside the CEO of Treasury Prime, the Chief Growth Officers of Finix and OpenPaid, and the Global Head of Customer Experience at RailsBank. This conversation is all moderated by the amazing Amias Garrity, partner at QED Investors. I've put the links in the episode description for details and tickets. In today's episode, Wade and I dive into what Move does, the problems he aims to solve, his passionate mission for open source, and why he partnered with A16Z. We also have a fun rapid fire round at the end talking about his best X Games moment, his nerdiest side projects, and more. Let's get started. Hi, Wade, and welcome to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. We're very excited to have you on as a guest today. Oh, nice to be here, Ryan. Thanks for having me. So Move has been a red-hot company in the fintech space the last few months, raising from A16Z, Bain Capital Ventures, and other pretty amazing investors. But before that, you had quite an interesting route to fintech. I saw you were an evangelist at Adobe and worked at a few other places before finally starting Move. So take us back to the start of your career and, you know, kind of culminating with your journey to move. I'd like to hear a bit about that before diving into the company. Yeah, absolutely. So I think I'm an engineer's engineer at heart. You know, I had a Sun Solaris machine into my parents' house in fifth grade with an ISDN line running a BBS board. And I was your friend in high school that reprogrammed the mag strip on your driver's license so you could buy beer and cigarettes. So it definitely was into... I wish I had one computer of those science. In my <laughs> yeah, uh, they're a lot harder to do now, but um, <laughs> that's probably my first foray into to payment systems. But uh, the you know technology has always just been a passion of mine or, or hobby, and you know even to the point that you know I was going into undergraduate and you know was a business major because that's how you you make money, right? Be a businessman and. My father said, well, I think, I think there's some money in this computer stuff. You may, <laughs> you may want to try that out. And so I switched from business to computer science. But um, no, my kind of first real job was uh, with Adobe. And I was a technical evangelist there. And I um, got involved with Adobe because I had uh, reverse engineered the communication layer between the Flash player and servers. So this was Flash player was how you did you know, real-time websites. 20 years ago. Ouch. And so I had done a project called AMF PHP, which allowed you to communicate between Flash and, and PHP. And so my first communication with Adobe was a cease and desist order. And then four years later, I was on stage with their CTO at Adobe Max, Zend AMF, which was a 
open source communication layer. So you could do incredible things with Flash. So, you know, companies like Amex and FedEx and Disney and kind of that era of web applications that were done in the Flash player, all, all leverage that technology. But that's, you know, the kind of how I got into banking was we did proof of concepts for big banks. You know, I was super naive and we would do a proof of concept for you know, a, a super regional and they'd spend $2 million for a proof of concept and, you know, never went to production. And so then I, I was looking around and there were 17,000 banks and credit unions that could all maybe have some additional technology. And turns out there's a big difference between a $150 billion bank and a $2 billion bank and a $200 million bank, but don't let a little facts get in the way of innovation. So yeah, that's that's how I got into banking. And that was my first foray into banking was working with Adobe where remember every loan application started with Acrobat with a PDF. And so, you know, you were no better off. And sadly, 20 years later, a lot of banks, you're no better off. If you have a checking account, you want a car loan or a mortgage, you basically have to start like anybody else off the street and put your name in and your social security number and your bank account information, which is actually at the bank that you're applying to. Uh, so we did a lot of lot of things for pre-populating PDFs in order to make it easier for users. And I think that's been kind of my, you know, my career has been taking these legacy systems and integrating them into better user experiences for the, the end user of the financial service. Absolutely. And one more question on your background before moving on. I did see somewhere that you were once a semi-pro BMX rider. Is this true? That's that's true. I, which is there's a big difference between being in the top 100 bike riders in the world and <laughs> being in the top 100 football players in the world. So you would you would maybe know who I was if I had chosen a different sport. But um, no, I I've ridden in the X Games when those first started, and oh, um, that's awesome. You know, ridden bikes with Dave Mira, and done, I was just about to ask. Yeah, he was my hero uh, growing my, up. If you'd ever seen him, yeah, that's my era. So. Dave's hung out at my house, but he's passed away now. But no you know, way. that's kind of the glory years. Big, heavy BMX bikes and big knee pads. Yeah, absolutely. I love Dave Muir. I loved, I mean, slightly different biking, but Ryan Nyquist, another one. That oh, yeah. Ryan's a great oh. guy. Are there any YouTube clips of you available still out there? You know what? I've uploaded a bunch of stuff several times. <laughs> so anyway, pivoting to, of course, FinTech, when did you decide to take the plunge and really start this company? Yeah. So Move started as a passion project. So I had started a company, Bano, which was a digital banking platform in 2008. That was acquired by Jack Henry in 2014 and worked for the CTO at Jack Henry for two and a half years there. And then afterwards, a buddy of mine, Dan Holt, started a company called Bilgo, which was a modern bill pay platform. And so I've joined up with him as, you know, like the 13th employee. And, you know, that's now... I don't even know how many people, 240 some people, you know, that's probably the most modern bill pay platform out there. And, uh, you know, when I got involved with Dan, I, I thought I would just be an investor. And then I, I love building things. So I got sucked into to being an executive there. And kind of along, along those lines, what I was finding myself, I was involved in, in Techstars as a mentor. And I kept on seeing all this like crazy innovation that people had brilliant ideas and really world or life-changing ideas for how to serve different marketplaces. And, you know, it always land at like slide eight or nine, you know, and we're going to connect to FIS, Fiserv, and Jack Henry, and we're going to make 
slide 10 would have 30 million in EBITDA in 18 months. And I was the guy sitting in the back of the room saying, "Ah, there's 11 core systems at Fiserv and there's Mm -hmm. 16 at FIS and there's five at Jack Henry and each one of them is run by a different decision maker. And unless you add value and aren't competitive to an existing product, nobody's going to call you back. They didn't need to be connected to those systems they just needed ACH or they just needed image cash letter or they just needed to be able to do credit right. reporting or so these really basic pieces, but they needed them at web scale. So they needed ACH for 750,000 transactions a day rather than for the 40,000 customers that may use it once a month at a community bank. And that was really kind of the impetus to say, hey, there's this false primitive that these core banking systems that those things work and all you need is an API for the internet. If that was true, every digital banking platform could be a banking as a service platform and an open banking platform. They work, they work for branch banking, but they were never designed to be used at web scale. You know, you take Chime 14 million monthly active users, you know, you can't put that on a Jack Henry core. You would need multiple cores. They just can't handle that internet scale load. And that was really the impetus of saying, hey, how come nobody has started over from the network up at the lowest layer possible? Fedline, the clearinghouse, Visa Dex, MasterCard Hydra, right? The super low level, we're actually speaking the original protocol and you're not putting layers and layers and layers on top of this stuff, you know, and it's just a constant finger point, right? When, When Simple went down because of one of their vendors, Right. Nobody was mad at Bank Corp. They were mad right. at Simple. And that's, to me, was really the impetus for the project is seeing hundreds of beautiful ideas that I would have loved to have seen them come to market, but they just didn't have kind of that boring infrastructure to power what they wanted to do in their go-to-market strategy. So I think we've done a good job now kind of describing the landscape a little bit and some of the problems. So what is Move exactly and what problems does it aim to solve? Yeah. So Move is designed for people that want to move money from A to B, and they don't want to understand the complexities of money movement. And so we're making that easier for software developers to embed money movement inside of their platforms. And the how, today we only do that over Fedline services. So ACH and Wire, we just started the integration and implementation for the Clearinghouse's RTP. There's a lot of push and pull into the debit networks that we're working on as well. And this sounds pretty straightforward, right? ACH has been around since punch cards. So we're not the first ACH platform out there. But most software developers, we feel like are wanting a lot of these, what traditionally be called treasury management at a bank. And they don't want to worry about you know, what SEC code this ACH file is. What is that an authorized reoccurring debit or is that an authorized one-time debit? They just want kind of the widgets and the the APIs in order to make that simpler. And then frankly, they just want it to work at scale. So I like to say, we're trying to build the most boring company in FinTech. (laughs) If we do our job, then nobody will talk about us. And, you know, it's kind of like a database. Nobody cares about a database as long as it doesn't lose data. Nobody cares about a payment provider as long as it doesn't mess up and not right. make payroll. You don't want Friday. to know their name. You're right. So what web server are you using today? Like we used to sell a web server. What database? We used to sell a database. Like what operating system? We <laughs> used to sell that. We used to tell people. And now it's just like, it works. And, and now we're building another layer of, uh, of 
innovation on top of these abstractions. And so I, I think my board members, Angela Strange and Matt Harris, truly believe that all these platform companies are going to have payments, not because they want interchange revenue, but because it's a better user experience. And so that's who we're really focused on or, you know, the vertical SaaS company that does doggy daycare as a service. It's a real company making a lot of money and they're using, they don't have payments inside of their system. So those are the types of marketplaces that we're really focused on that want an eloquent way of embedding money movement inside of their platforms. So who were, you know, your first 10 customers, let's say, and what had to be true for them to trust you and, you know, agree to work with you as a vendor? Yeah. So, I mean, part of the reason that we did two subsequent funding rounds was to your question of how do they trust you, right? So the two pain points that we dealt with right off the bat was, I don't really have a wire problem. That's great that you guys are doing FedLine and you can do same day ACH and wire. I really have a same day payment problem. I want to be able to get money out of my system to Ryan today. And I'm solving that via wire right now, or I'm solving that via same day ACH. But really, I want to cannibalize those payments and send them over debit or RTP in the future. Or, you know, if you could just somehow get that into a, a cash app rather than me having to figure that out, that'd be ideal. And so that, that was the first pain point. And everything we do, the root of what we do is open source. So there's no vaporware at move, like we're the definition of working in public. And so, so we struggled with, well, yeah, that's coming, but if we weren't committed to doing it, you can't really say it's coming. And then the second piece was just longevity. You know, if I'm going to replace Fiserv or I'm going to replace Oracle or, or SAP for this payment processing, five and a half million dollars doesn't last you too long. And so the other big pain point was, if it takes me a year to onboard and transfer everyone over, I'd like to know that you're going to be around in the future. And so that really led to part of the motivation for partnering with Andreessen Horowitz was just making sure we had the longevity, making sure that we could play the long game and commit to these features that the customers wanted in our platform that, uh, even if we didn't have them today, you know, it, we, they weren't picking an ACH provider, they were picking a payment provider. Mm-hmm. And, and we we're happy to migrate those payments to different rails in the future. And that really came from working with lots of customers. You know, I think the big aha for me was the amount of independent contractors that are out there. You know, is that a B2B payment? If you need right. to issue a 1099 is, and we've kind of as payment systems said, well, I do business payments, or I do personal payments and kind of the, the creative gig economy has changed that definition. Doesn't change the rules on the payment rails, but it changes the customers. So if you're you know, paying independent contractors or paying vendors, do you use two different systems? Probably not. So you know, our first customer that helped us the most, they do uh, their platform for construction companies, general contractors. And so you know, before us, they were using, you know, a different bank for each one of those general contractors payments were outside of, of their platform. And with us, you know, we're debiting those general contractors, bringing it into a move account, and then subsequent sending out all the credits to pay all of their vendors and all of their independent contractors. And it, it sounds like a simple money flow, but that's where we've been really focused this money in stored value money out, which is very common inside of platform companies inside of marketplaces. 
And if you try and piecemeal that together, you may, you know, wait three days for TSIS to send you money. And then you need Plaid to see if the money hit. And then you use, you know, maybe the bank's bill pay or ACH gateway to send money out. And, and that orchestration of those flow of funds is actually more complex than understanding the payment rails. And, and the whole time, you know, people are going, I just want to pay contractors, right? That's what I want to spend my money on, not figuring out how all these payment flows work. So I do want to ask, how do you define your competitive landscape? You outlined it a bit in your last answer, but are there certain companies that you consider contemporaries or aspire to be like, who are you thinking of each day as you think about your product and where to position yourself? Yeah. So again, we're not inventing a new payment route. So I think everything's competitive and nothing's competitive. So where I've spent my time is working with companies like DoorDash, understanding how Uber works, understanding how Starbucks works. And if you said, hey, I want to build you know, an Uber or DoorDash style platform, each of those two companies have thousands of developers, they have hundreds of vendors, and their job is doing all that orchestration. And so we think once you've seen Airbnb, once you've seen Uber, once you've seen Lyft, once you've seen DoorDash, you want to create a startup with that two-sided market. And, you know, just go to any pitch competition, you know, we're the Airbnb of XYZ, but they don't get to go hire me and the really payment experts and go hire 500 to a thousand people in order to pull this off and go get their money transmitter licenses and, and really figure this all out. And so we're invested in this trend that there's going to be more companies that mimic that business model. And we don't think there is a good turnkey solution for doing payments in marketplaces and platforms out there today. Maybe they use Tsys or Stripe or somebody on one side to bring money in and then they use their local bank or somebody else to do virtual accounts. And then they use a different payment provider to send it out. And so rather than having all the features that maybe Stripe has or Marketa has or all these great companies being disparate systems, we would rather make that flow of money in, stored value and money out with zero latency in settlement easier for developers to use. And so you had mentioned earlier in the podcast that you are an engineer's engineer. And I think any engineer's engineer would have this love for open source, which Move has embodied since day one. So why did you go with such an open first approach? Why did it make so much sense for Move? And who have you been working with to contribute to these massive open source libraries you're building? Yeah, so imagine that none of this existed two years ago. And now for sure, the Move ACH library, the Move ISO 20022 library, the ISO 8583 library, IRS Fire, Metro 2, these are like the most hardened libraries. You can't buy, they're free, but you can't right. buy a more hardened library. You know, there's, there's no test cases on a lot of the libraries that are running the banking infrastructure. It just hasn't broken for a while, so it must work. So my approach was the act of actually parsing a message off of the card network, the act of parsing a message off of the clearinghouse or FedNow or Swift into a modern language, JSON, and all the utilities that go along with that. Is that how many people can really use that and like disrupt move or disrupt like 
Stripe does a whole lot of more things than parsing an ISO 8583 message that are, are really brilliant. But the goal was, how do we make this not locked away in a, a password protected PDF, you know, have a reference implementation, yeah, and then add all these utilities. What I've been shocked by is the amount of people, whether that's multiple top four banks, massive payment providers like Square, like PayPal, that have joined the community, have contributed both code and more importantly, knowledge and test cases. And I can say if um, you know, we've run seven years of transactions from the nation's one of the two largest banks in the nation, <laughs> um, seven years of all their ACH transactions through our library, like, and there's test cases and everything that, that makes sure that that works. And so from nothing to two years later, I can say our libraries are more proven, more battle-hardened, more tested than, you know, name the 30-year-old legacy provider. And that's the foundation that we're building upon. I think a closed source company, what we did in a year, year and a half, would have taken on many years and many outages and many failures to get to the same level that we're at already. And so that was the mindset. And, you know, again, our goal is to go after the developer. And so there's, we see two types of developers. There's the developer that's building the new banking as a service platform at a major bank to, to the payment provider. They're probably using our open source libraries and they're creating value back to the community and to us by sharing that knowledge. Then the other developer that is really, you know, how do you monetize that, right? And, you know, they want to use the move.js widget. They want to use the APIs. They don't want to find a bank sponsor. They just want it to work. And so they're at a different layer of abstraction where we can provide, you know, a lot more value to them. But everybody's using the same open source code for the most critical functions that move provides that are out there Apache 2 and, and free and have at it. So on that note of open source, Move has also created an amazing Slack community, which I joined and enjoy scrolling through probably once a week. And then in addition, you also have FinTech DevCon, which is going to be a conference later this year. For our listeners who are unfamiliar with both, can you just walk them through each quickly and you know what they can learn if they get involved? Yeah. So first off, our, our Slack channel has over 1,600 people, which isn't a very big number, but if you, it's kind of the who's who of builders in say, FinTech. It's a big market share. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, I love it when somebody complains about Stripe or Square or Plaid and then, you know, like the co-founder <laughs> chimes in, you know, so like, uh, here's how this works. Let me help you get this right. Thing. The quality of individuals in there is, is really exceptional. And and the motivation for both the Slack channel, which is more the year-round event and our happy hour talks that we have every Friday, we have a speaker every other Friday. We don't record them because they usually share too much information <laughs> and uh, are super transparent. And then our FinTech DevCon is all under this philosophy of, can we get free and open knowledge sharing so that creators and builders and product managers and program managers can get answers to their questions and can get validation that the strategy that they're on is going to be successful. And that's something the tech community thrives at, right? You go to Java one and everybody's sharing how they handled an outage or 
Golang conference. That's really where the impetus comes from is in tech, the knowledge sharing is part of what makes that community of people that share in the same language. And, you know, I've been in fintech for a long time and, you know, I feel like it's always been super secretive. Well, how does ACH work? Well, you know, just buy my software, Our, ours works and we, we process for other people versus, you know, not only will I tell you how it works, I'll show you, here's a reference implementation of it. And frankly, if you want to go sign that ODFI agreement with your bank, have at it. And that's the mindset of the community that we're trying to build with FinTech DevCon, which is September 8th and 9th in Denver, Colorado. And we've brought in people, you know, that are just experts, right? So Tom Adams, who's lead software engineer at Cash App, right? So he's going to share, they increased their number of users over 40% in one week. So he's going to share his lessons of going through one week of an increase in users. And by the way, they had a couple of users before that week. <laughs> um, so right. it's really our goal with the conference is, I hope somebody shows up, hears the talks, realizes that the person giving the talk puts on their pants one leg at a time each morning too, that they're human, they're approachable, and hopefully they leave inspired to go back to wherever they work and build something amazing. And, and if we pull that off, you know, that's the conference I always wanted to attend in FinTech. You know, that is how I feel when I go to Google IO or Apple's conference. Like you leave like, man, I, I can do, I can build bigger and better technologies that impact the world. And that's what we want to kind of embrace and, and foster in the FinTech community is, is really focusing on the builders, on the operators, on the product managers, on, on the people that are in the trenches dealing with this stuff. And we just love to know like-minded individuals on an individual basis in order to uh, be able to phone a friend and, and have help. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, we'll hopefully be able to attend. I'll have just started my postgraduate role. I'll see if I have the time, but I will link the descriptions and links to FinTech DevCon as well as the Slack in the episode description. And I also want to plug that Wade will be speaking at Wharton FinTech's conference at the end of April. Very excited to hear you speak. I don't know which panel you will be on yet. I'll have to check back with our conference chairs, but I will link that as well in the description. So Wade, in closing, you have reached the final part of the episode, which is the rapid fire question round. We've got about 10 questions or so for you. Max, you know, 10, 20 second reply. Are you ready? Sure. All right. First question. Who is your fintech hero? Oh, Jack Dorsey. Great answer. Hero. Mostly the beard, right? Oh, great beard. <laughs> you, you two and Stuart Sop of Curran have some great fintech beards. So how about non-fintech, just general, you know, technology or software engineering hero? Oh, I, I think the pragmatism of the Go team is exceptional. And it, it's why we use Go. And their experience at scale at Google is something I've experienced at Bano and Bill Go and, and really embrace the philosophy that they've put into that programming language. How about best part of living, quote unquote, in the woods for the last year, as opposed to Miami or New York? Well, I live at 7,500 feet just up from Denver. And I think I wanted to quarantine before there was a global pandemic. And uh, so it's worked out very well for me. The, the best thing is the views. I've got the Continental Divide, Mount Evans, and I can see down to Denver from my house and elk and bear and mountain lions rolling through the backyard. That's awesome. So what would it take for you to move to New York City? 
<laughs> I maybe could do San Francisco. Probably not heading to New York anytime soon. All right. How about a little bit of a pivot here? Favorite X Games moment? Ooh, double backflip from Dave Mira. First time ever done. Awesome. How about your personal proudest accomplishment? Uh, I've got four incredible kids and been married for 17 years. So somehow that my wife hasn't left me through three <laughs> startups is probably the most successful thing I've ever done. That's great. So kind of on that note, toughest part of being a leader and a founder? You know, it, it's really hard. I think um, Ben Horowitz's book, The Hard Things, you know, hard thing about hard things yeah, is, is so true. And I really, you know, there's no shortcuts. So this is my third time. The last two went really well. But you know, every day, just one foot in front of the other. There's no skipping steps. You, know, you, you have to get your first little customer before you get a big customer. And just that discipline to get back to focus, focus, focus. And there's no guarantees that it's going to be successful. How about thoughts on cryptocurrency as an asset class? I sold 10 Bitcoin in 2016 oh. and thought I was pretty clever. And <laughs> That's a gut punch. Yeah. But, you know, to me as an asset class, I'm skeptical. As a currency, uh, I'm very bullish on any stable coin mm -hmm. as a way of uh, exchanging stored value, uh, especially cross-border stored value uh, is, is uh, game-changing. Absolutely. And for listeners that want to learn more, we had Mike Dudas as well as Simon Taylor on about January, February, where they go in depth on the value of, and potential of stable coins. So next question, let's say move exits for $500 billion in a few years. What do you do next? Oh, probably go for a bike ride and think up something new and call all my friends again and do it again. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. All right. How about a few left? Favorite nerdy side project you've taken on? Oh, I run a five node Raspberry Pi Kubernetes cluster in order to, which actually builds all the move libraries and you can run move on your own cluster in your house for less than $200. That's more fault tolerant than most core banking systems out there. That's awesome. All right. Now, how about thoughts on Clubhouse? I was shockingly impressed. I, um, as somebody who's decided to open a conference this summer, I thought, wait a second, this is phenomenal that you can get all these individuals in here. I did one with Visa that had 1,600 people attend. That's, That's amazing. You think about that at Money 2020, what would you have to pay to get that large of an audience in order for that to happen? So I'm, I'm bullish on it in that way. I love my Twitter, so it's gonna be hard for me to get off of that. Uh, Twitter is the best. And then the last question, let's say the whole world is vaccinated. It's, you know, 2022, COVID is a distant memory. What is your first big post-COVID vacation? Oh, going Cabo, for sure. <laughs> Get some nice warm Get weather. Get myself a margarita and a suntan and play some <laughs> golf and do a little mountain biking and not be stuck at the border on the way back in. <laughs> Definitely. Well, Wade, it was fantastic having you on today's episode of the War in Fintech podcast. Very excited to get this out to our listeners, especially in the wake of Move's great accomplishments, recent raises, and awesome growth. Well, thanks, Ryan, for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the War in Fintech podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review. 
And if you're looking for more fintech content, subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Medium at Wharton Fintech. There you will find articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. I've linked our accounts in the episode description. I would also like to thank our editor, Rafael Ostria, for his incredible work on our episodes. Signing off, I'm your host, Ryan Zauck.